The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Well, we're certainly going to hear about a gritty case today inside the Duke Cross Parade case. Explosive headlines, Durham, North Carolina, three Duke University lacrosse players charged with rape. Duke University, one of the nation's prestigious schools with a diverse student body known for its various programs all the way from a divinity school to a school of law to a school of medicine, research, known for its research. And, of course, it's known for its outstanding athletic department, including both women and men's lacrosse teams. Well, three lacrosse players, Reed Seligman, David Evans, and Colin Finnerty, were indicted for kidnapping and rape. A prestigious athletic department smeared. The, the, the lacrosse team games canceled for the rest of the year. And these students, the three of them, were actually facing 25 years behind bars. Racial insults and Race versus privilege. It was salacious. Three men falsely accused, a prosecutor disbarred, and the attorney for exonerated Reed Seligman is here to talk about the amazing series of events in Durham, North Carolina. James P. Cooney III. Jim is one of the best lawyers in America since 2000 in both civil and criminal cases. He practiced with the law firm of Womble, Womble Carlisle, Charlotte, North Carolina. And let me just tell you a little bit about his accomplishments. First of all, he's tried more than 50 jury cases to verdict in both civil and criminal. He's argued more than 35 appeals in state and federal courts. He um, is the only attorney selected one of the top trial lawyers in North Carolina in civil and criminal work in 2006, 7, 8, 9, and 10. He was selected as one of the top Ten civil attorneys in North Carolina. In 2007, he was the top vote recipient for criminal attorneys in North Carolina. And in 2004, he also received the North Carolina Bar Association William Thorpe Pro Bono Award for his work. And the 2010 North Carolina Bar Association's Wade Smith Professional Professionalism Award for Criminal Defense. So you can see here that the man that we're going to be talking to today has a lot of credits to his name. Um, he's served in, in the 
legal and community in various leadership uh, positions. And I'd like to just welcome here um, my guest, Jim Cooney. Thank you for being with me today, Jim. I know it's a struggle to work out your schedule. No, I appreciate being asked. Happy to be here. I think uh, you were uh, in another country as of just a few days ago. <laughs> well, I did, yeah, I'm dealing with strikes, but uh, I, I'm back home where I need to be. Okay, well, great. Well, Jim, tell us, um, first of all, um, did you get involved with uh, representing Briggs Seligman right away? Uh, how, how soon were you involved in this case? Uh, I actually got involved. Um, the, the case uh, began with a, a party in March of 2006, um, and the first indictments were issued in early May. Um, I actually got called in May and uh, turned down the case once before, um, just because I I come off a very difficult, hard uh, capital case uh, where uh, we'd taken a, a guy who was on death row uh, and uh, had exonerated him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jury had found him innocent. Right. And frankly, I wasn't ready for another knife fight that was going to be- take place three hours from where I lived. And there were plenty of good lawyers in the Durham area, so I, I begged off. And then in September, I got called again by uh, by Joe Cheshire, who represented Dave Evans and was kind of the, the spokesman for all of us. And, and Joe basically told me I had to take the case and that I would never have a more innocent client. And he was right. And wow. uh, I've I've learned over the years to do what Joe tells me to do, and it's never served me wrong. So so I took the case at that point. Well, and it's interesting to me that you are actually a graduate of Duke University. Yes, yes. So you must yeah. have been following that very closely even before you actually accepted the case. Well, sure. Uh, I, I mean, I think everyone was. And, and, you know, like everyone else, you know, I'm inclined to believe, you know, that an elected district attorney is not going to step out and lie to everyone. And right. so when, when Mr. Nifong was out in front of the cameras in April, uh, the end of March and all of April, basically demonstrating how the attack occurred and, um, you know, saying he was convinced there had been a gang rape and that it was just a matter of getting somebody to open up about what happened. I mean, I was outraged. I, I You know, I, I want to know what happened, too, that, you know, if Duke students had done this, then you darn right the full weight of the law needed to come down on them. So I, I was kind of with everyone else on this and then, mm-hmm. then began to have some concerns about it the more I listened to it. Well, and like any case that we hear like this in the, in the news, um, the court of public opinion always rushes to judgment and believes in the guilt of the person being uh, accused. Sure. Well, and nobody wants to believe that uh, an elected district attorney is going to deliberately mislead people about, you know, a crime of this magnitude. Absolutely. So, so then you, you got involved in the case, and what happened next? Well, um, it, actually, even before I decided to accept, I, I frankly went and spent a couple of days with uh, my client and his family because uh, if I was going to take on what looked like it was going to be a very hard and, and difficult fight, I wanted to make sure that I had faith in my client and, and faith in where he came from. And so I just went and spent a couple of days with him, uh, kind of on my ticket. And um, it was just so impressed with what I found. Um, you know, I, his parents and I are great friends now. He is as good a kid as I've ever run into. Um, you know, I'm, I'm the father of daughters. Okay. And, and he's the kind of kid that, that you hope 
your girls bring home. And I have a son-in-law, and I love my son-in-law. He's a great kid. Reed Seligman uh, could be my son-in-law any day. He, he, he was that kind of kid. So I just I could not believe that the kid I was looking at and, and listening to and whose family I interacted with uh, over those two days, you know, that anyone could think he was capable of this, let alone charge him with it. So you were really able to see the family in their home environment and, and how they interacted between them, each other. and Yeah, and, and that was really important for me because I wanted to, I, I really didn't have an interest in, you know, throwing myself uh, against a bunch of bungee sticks for someone who I didn't consider deserved it. Mm-hmm. And and I wanted to convince myself that, that, that this was a quality kid and, and it didn't take long to do that. And so you... So it sounds like you walked away at the end of those two days thinking you wanted to represent this kid. Yeah, I, I, I did. They asked at the end of those two days. They asked me to represent him, and, and 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 I wanted to represent him because this family was just suffering terribly. I mean, it's they woke up every day not knowing if you know Reed was going to literally spend the rest of his adult life in jail or not. Now, he was and, facing 25 years, is that right? Is that correct? Uh, well, if you, it depends on how you stack him up without a prior record. We we have structured sentencing. We don't have parole anymore. So he was looking at, you know, somewhere between 20 and 35 years, just depending on, on, on what the crimes ultimately are day for day. I mean, he, he never would have seen his parents alive again outside a prison waiting room if he'd been convicted of this. Right. These are the most serious felonies we have in North Carolina, short of capital murder. I see. And so it would depend on whether they could prove the kidnapping, whether they could prove the sexual assault, and all the uh, ins and outs of those things. Right. It was first-degree rape, because rape by more than one person in North Carolina is first-degree rape. And um, the kidnapping in North Carolina, it just requires a person be moved from one place to another. So literally moving somebody from down the hall into a bathroom, for example, mm-hmm. is kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a real serious felony, too, as you can imagine. So the, these, were, these charges were about as serious as you get. And none of these three kids had any prior uh, criminal history at all. Is that correct? Uh, um, Reed certainly did. His only prior criminal history was, I think, a parking ticket. You know, okay. and he'd been he'd been on the um, uh, honor roll at Duke. Uh, every semester he was there. He was on the ACC athletics honor roll. Uh, I mean, you know, the, n- nobody ever accused this kid of breaking it, breaking any rules. Um, you know, Dave Evans had had some administrative run-ins with with Duke over parties at the house and and that kind of thing. Uh, but um, you know, Reed certainly hadn't had any prior issues. All right. And of course, that was that was the person you were concerned about, anyway. Is right. Is Reed. Okay. Right. All right. Then what happened next? Well, um, I came back and uh, sat down, and another lawyer had been representing Reed, and and I went down and I, I basically spent a couple of days and just sat in a conference room and went through the discovery file. Um, under North Carolina law, we've got open file discovery mm-hmm. uh, that stemmed out of that capital case I was mentioning. Um, and uh, let's let's talk, let's uh, mention the name of the capital case, Jim. Who, it involved, who was that? Involved a young man named Alan Gell. Alan Gell, who was uh, convicted in 1995 of uh, murdering a retired truck driver, and it 
it, uh, he was sentenced to death, uh, sentence was upheld on appeal, and then one of my associates got appointed to represent him in post-conviction. And under North Carolina law at that point, if you got sentenced to death, you had a right to see the prosecutor's file mm-hmm. um, in post-conviction work. So we, uh, we, we got the prosecutor's file, and it turned out that there were 17 witnesses that the prosecution had known about who uh, all saw the victim alive after the day my client was supposed to have killed him. I see. And, and that becomes important because after the, after my client could have only killed him on one day, on April 3rd, because from April 4th forward, he was in jail. Uh-huh. So uh, if the victim's alive after April 3rd, my client's innocent. He, he, he literally could not have committed that murder. Uh, and the prosecution had withheld all those statements and convicted him of capital murder. Interesting. Uh, so we got the conviction set aside, and then we tried the case. In fact, Joe Cheshire and I were co-counsel on that, and the jury acquitted him. And the General Assembly, our, our North Carolina legislature, um, was so upset about that and some other cases that they, they imposed an open file discovery obligation on the prosecution in all, in all criminal felony cases. So in North Carolina, the prosecutor is required to give us everything that's in the files of law enforcement. Interesting. We have a fairly, as you know, I'm in California. We have a fairly new law in California that uh, applies that procedure to life in prison without parole and capital cases. Mm. Not all, not all felonies, but at least those two. Well, we've had it for all felonies since um, October of 2004. And as I like to tell people around the country who don't have that law and say, oh, that would bring the criminal justice system to a halt, since October of 2004, they've still been convicting people. <laughs> the criminal justice system hadn't stopped here. The moon still, still works, in the sky. And <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, so in any event, uh, because of this open file discovery, uh, there was a lot of stuff, all the police reports, witness statements, what we thought were all the lab reports, everything else was in there. And um, I sat down and went through it and was just astonished at, at, at the fact that there was no evidence. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the false accuser had made, you know, so far as I could tell, about five statements, and every one of them were different. And, I mean, it wasn't different in the sense of she said the guy's shirt was red and it was really white or that kind of thing. But we're t- I mean, Now we're talking about the Duke lacrosse case. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it was, you know, she was changing major parts of her story every time she told it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I actually built a checklist, a grid for each statement and picked out just a big element of the story. I mean, fundamental things like how many people were there uh, and who did what. And, and But she had, had actually been there at the house. Is that right? Yeah, there there had been... Um, in in what I can only characterize as a colossal failure of good judgment, mm-hmm. um, you know the lacrosse team. It was the uh, it was on spring break, and the lacrosse team was there practicing, and so they uh, they hired uh, two women from an escort service to come in and dance topless, uh, and the false accuser was was one of these dancers. Okay, hold that uh, thought, Jim. We need to take a break. Mm-hmm. Um, litigator Jim Cooney, attorney rep- who represented one of the Duke University lacrosse players on the famous or infamous kidnapping and rape case. Jim has much more to say factually.
Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Lawyer Jim Cooney is talking about his experience in the middle of the Duke lacrosse sexual assault case. Jim, you were talking about the victim and that she was changing uh, her version of the events. That, that's right. Every time she told the story, it changed. And, and I'm talking about in large, substantial ways, not, not in little details that mm-hmm. anyone could get confused on. Okay. So, you know, what I have is I have a victim who can't tell the same story twice. 
and and it continues to get more and more elaborate each time she tells it. And I've got no physical evidence. I mean, none connecting my client or really any of these kids to Now, they did uh, to do the, a sexual assault rape kit on they her. They did. Correct. And, um, and the preliminary testing, uh, despite her initial statement that all three of the accusers ejaculated, the, uh, uh, they found no semen. At all? And, at all. Zero. Okay. And uh, so they did, um, they did DNA testing. And, of course, they got a mixed sample, which means that uh, you'll get her DNA and other people's DNA. Um, and then they subjected the DNA to a particular kind of testing called YSTR testing, okay. which only looks at the Y chromosome. Uh, and since males only have the Y chromosome, that will separate out any portion of, of, of the female uh, chromosome so you don't have that mixed sample anymore. Okay. And they they were they initially reported back that none of the uh that Reed and um and and the other two folks that none of their DNA was found on her in her or on her clothing. Now is it true that there was DNA of five other males? Yeah, and that's but it, it took some digging to find that and, and that was that that was one of the the things that really broke the back of the case, because um, what what happened was uh, we get this report essentially saying our client's DNA isn't on her, in her, or on her clothing, and frankly, I'm fat and happy at that point. Mm-hmm. I I got a kid accused of rape, and and none of his DNA is there, mm-hmm. and there's no physical evidence linking to him, and I got a I got a an alleged victim who who can't even tell the same story. Uh, and then we began probing the DNA reports because we just gotten this preliminary report, but they, but Nifong was dragging his feet about giving us the underlying documentation. And so, about at the end of October, he finally coughed up the underlying documentation, which we got in a data dump, basically 2,500 pages of stuff. Okay, so timeline-wise, so they were they were indicted in May. Right. You t- you came on the case in September. Right. And this then, is this is just a month later. Yeah, and then at the end of October, we finally get the underlying data for for the DNA report. Um, and one of uh, the attorneys on the team, a, a young man named Brad Bannon, uh, was assigned kind of the job of going through the underlying data and seeing what he could find. Mm-hmm. And what he found was. That um, and and one of the reasons for that is after the DNA was released to the public, uh, Mr. Nifong had been saying things like, "Well, you know, you can rob a bank and not leave fingerprints. These are Duke kids; they're really smart. You know, they knew how to clean up after themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence. Um, and we'll just, you know, we." convicted a lot of people of rape before DNA, we'll just try them the old-fashioned way. And and so what he was suggesting is the fact that there's no DNA didn't mean they didn't rape her. It just meant that these are really clever guys who managed to wipe her clean of all the DNA. Right, right. Um, so And you could see that was going to be his argument. Well, when we got into the underlying data, we found out not only was she not wiped clean of DNA, there was all sorts of DNA on her. Uh, somewhere between five and nine unidentified male DNA profiles were found on her that were not our clients and that were not the Duke lacrosse team. Amazing. And, and they'd hidden that from us. They'd refused to report that to us. 
And when did you finally get that information? Well, we, we finally we got it in towards the end of November, and uh, we were finally able to confirm that we were reading those test results the right way. And then we filed a motion um, in December along with a series of other motions um, in anticipation of a hearing on December 15th. 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, the hearing on December 15th, after we'd filed the motions, was just supposed to be a scheduling hearing, you know, uh, basically a hearing where we decided when we were going to hear the motions. Sure. Uh, and one of the motions we filed was on the DNA, basically saying, you've withheld this stuff from us. We just found it. Uh, and we want to go ahead and take a deposition of the, uh, the DNA lab director have the court order that because we're not allowed to do that normally in a criminal case. Mm -hmm. And uh, we didn't know what was going to happen with that. And uh, so we showed up in court on December 15th and Mr. Nifong marches in and announces he's got the lab director there and we can uh, examine him if we want to in front of the court. Uh, Hmm. Was there a conspiracy between Mr. Nifong and the lab director? Well, it turned out that there was a little bit of one, um, but you've you got to remember, none of us was prepared to cross-examine this guy. Of course. Because we didn't know he was coming. Right. And so what, what Mr. Nifong essentially wanted to do with, and, and the courtroom was just full of media because all the kids were there that day, um, and what he was trying to do was hoping we would back down so that he could then make fun of us about asking for things and, and not really wanting them and accuse us of being on a witch hunt, which he had done when we asked for the DNA stuff. And uh, so we we decided we'd cross-examine him cold. And uh, we cross-examined him cold, and it turned out that he said, yeah, we were reading those results correctly, that there were several unidentified male profiles, somewhere between five and nine, and that he had withheld the results uh, in an agreement with Mr. Nifong and that they had agreed they weren't going to report those results. And so they didn't. And, and, that, and were you able to extract from him what the thinking was by not reporting them? Well, there, there were about five different <laughs> explanations that have been offered up over the years. But the initial one was, and I love this one, they wanted to protect the privacy of the unidentified men. Uh-huh. You know, a- after reporting the names of, of our clients and the names of the lacrosse team, that that somehow there was a privacy interest in these unidentified male profiles that needed to be hidden from us. I see. So it was really out of regard to their privacy that they had decided not not to give us that, that little message that not only had she not been wiped clean of DNA, but there was DNA all over. Yeah. And, and, and what it meant was it was scientifically impossible for this rape to have occurred the way she said it occurred and to get these DNA results. Mm-hmm. It cannot happen. Okay. So on December 15th, after that hearing, where did it go from there? Well, that, then, then the media firestorm really hit, um, you know, because, uh, you know, on live TV... Uh, what the public was able to see was kind of prosecutorial misconduct in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a firestorm just erupted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saturday Night Live did a parody of it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that weekend. And 
uh, within about 10 days, um, the state bar had filed charges, ethics charges against NIFON. Really? That soon? Yeah. And that, that was the first time in the history of the North Carolina State Bar that they had ever filed ethics charges against a prosecutor in an ongoing case. Normally, they wait until the case is over. But they, they decided to intervene in this case, knowing that that would probably require Mr. Nifong to remove himself, which it did, and that the attorney general would have to take over the case. And that's which why it went did. to the attorney general. Okay. Right. And then we got a fair investigation at that point. Okay. So did, um, so did the AG's office actually assign an investigator to come in, or was it an attorney, the AG themselves, that came in and looked it over? Yeah, they assigned two deputy attorney generals, uh, Jim Komen, who was the senior most uh, deputy attorney general, and Mary Winstead, and then they worked with SBI agents, the State Bureau of Investigation, hmm. uh, and and went back and did the investigation that should have been done from the beginning. They interviewed all the kids who were at the party. Uh, you know, nobody interposed the Fifth Amendment. Everybody shared with them what had happened. They reviewed all the laboratory data. Uh, you know, we gave we voluntarily produced, you know, gave them everything, cell phone records, photographs, the whole nine yards. We didn't mm-hmm. withhold anything. And at the conclusion in April, they concluded not only was there insufficient evidence to prosecute, and not only should the charges be dismissed, but uh, they came to the conclusion that these kids were innocent and that they needed to say they were innocent in order to give them their lives back. Okay. Well, we need to take another break here, Jim. Um, we're getting the behind-the-scenes view of the case involving the three players from Duke University lacrosse team. Reed Seligman, one of the accused, was represented by Jim Cooney, who's here with us today. Stay tuned for more details about this incredible case. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. Cali's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact Cali at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. 
IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Can you hear me? Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today's program includes my esteemed guest, Jim Cooney, attorney for Reed Seligman, North Carolina. And we were just talking about um, when he found out uh, during a court hearing that the lab director of the DNA lab and the prosecutor actually agreed not to produce some evidence that exonerated his client. So, Jim, go ahead and take that from there. Well, um, one of the main things we did once the investigation was transferred to the North Carolina Attorney General is... um, I'd put together essentially uh, uh, what you can call an electronic timeline, but it, it it basically looked at the question of opportunity because criminal law at, at one level is very simple. If your client doesn't have an opportunity to commit a crime, then he's innocent or she's innocent. Mm-hmm. And so we knew this crime had to take place between 11 p.m. and 1 a.m. So we had a, a two-hour window. And what we tried to do was to see if we could identify any time period in there where these three kids and the false accuser were alone together, which would have given them an opportunity to commit the crime. And the false accuser said that the attack lasted between 20 and 30 minutes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there had to be a significant block of time for this to happen. Okay. Now, one of the things you've got to understand is that in, in the modern society, you cannot travel through time and space without leaving footprints. And this is particularly true for, for this younger generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the people my kids age in their teens and 20s because they're constantly leaving electronic records behind them. They're texting, they're sending emails, uh, voicemails. Uh, they've got cameras on their 
cell phones. They've got, mm-hmm. you know, video cameras, and they're still cameras. And so, you know, if you dig hard enough and, and get the right records, you can pretty much track a person through time and space uh, in, in our society today. And, and unfortunately, so, it usually works against the person, not the <laughs> Well, that's right. I mean, yeah. and that's essentially how law enforcement does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what uh, we did is we gathered up all the cell phone records for these kids. Uh, we gathered up the victim's cell phone records or the false accuser's cell phone records. And mm-hmm. Mr. Nifong made fun of us for doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, gathered up uh, photographs that were taken at the party, and these were all digital images so we could access the metadata that's attached to the images and determine from the computer processor at what time a particular image was made. Okay. Um, and uh, between cell phone calls and credit card receipts and the uh, data images, uh, basically between roughly um, 11, a, uh, 11 p.m. And, uh, 1 a, and 1 a.m., there was no opportunity for these three kids to be alone with her. There, there was no unaccounted for time. Um, let alone 20 to 30 minutes where they and, could have committed a rape. And what time did did she say that she arrived at the party? Well, that changed too. Okay. Because we, the, the next door neighbor to the lacrosse house who wasn't a big fan of these kids who lived in, in this <laughs> house because he had a real job and they were always up late at night, sure. uh, actually wrote a letter to the police because they refused to interview him uh, in, in which he said he saw the women enter the house around midnight thereabouts. Hmm. Uh, so uh, uh, that was a pretty hard date and in fact, uh, hard fact, and in fact, pictures that were taken of the women dancing were all between roughly uh, midnight and 1210. So th- those were really hard, hard facts. Well, after we had revealed pieces of the timeline as part of Reed Seligman's defense, um, the uh, the false accuser in this in December of 2006 changed her story again, and claimed that she actually arrived at the party at 11 o'clock, and that the attack took place more like 11:30, and that it was done by midnight. And she said that because we had pictures of Reed at an ATM at 12:15 withdrawing money so he can go to a, a local fast food place using a cab. I see. So she has to move her timeline backwards to, to make it make sense. Sure. The the problem is when she moved it backwards, she didn't take into account her own cell phone records. And uh, according to her new timeline, she was apparently dancing naked in front of uh, 40 uh, young men who were screaming and yelling epithets at her while she was talking on her cell phone to her father for seven minutes. Mm-hmm. So it, the, the new timeline didn't work out so well for her. But once once we had put that timeline together and could demonstrate there was no opportunity, we then presented that in kind of a PowerPoint format to the attorney generals, and I think that really got their attention. I'm sure it did. Because, and and you didn't just have Reed's cell phone and her cell phone records; you had videos and photographs and calls oh, and from other people that were at the party. Exactly. So we we could literally account almost on a minute-by-minute basis, where everyone was. Well, and I remember, uh, Jim, seeing a timeline that you did on a PowerPoint where you had um, had one line and you had the times listed on each one and what happened. 
Yeah, and that's exactly the the same uh, the same presentation that's we made to the attorney generals, right? Very powerful. Well, it, it it it's a good visual image because when you look at it, you know, you can you can have a room temperature IQ look at that and know a rape didn't occur. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and then um, the police. How, there was some kind of a weird thing about how the police was called. She evidently left with her friend and went someplace else. Is that right? Yeah, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, the uh, there were two dancers that night, and they actually didn't know each other. Um, okay. And um, basically, when they left that night, um, the false accuser was passed out. In fact, they had to carry her to the car because she was drunk or stoned on something. Okay. And and so she's in this stranger's car, and this woman doesn't know how to get rid of her. So she drives to uh, a Walmart, uh, dumps her out of the car, and then calls 911 and claims that she's been driving by Walmart and just found this woman wandering the street, and, and the police need to get there. And, of course, denies she knows how she got there or what she's doing there. Uh-huh. And then the police take over at that point. And uh, the false accusers, you know, visibly drunk or stoned and essentially here and they take her to an evaluation center and to see if this is a mental issue or if she just needs to spend a night in jail and sober up. Mm -hmm. And the sergeant who's in charge of it uh, basically says in her presence, um, because they found out she has kids by then, that if she's if she's not. You know, mentally impaired. I want you to get a cruiser out to her house and pick her kids up because they're going to DSS um, mm. because she obviously shouldn't be wandering the street. And and right after he said that, she began to claim that she'd been raped. I see. And and that's when they took her over to the medical center. So it makes you wonder if she would have said that if they hadn't uh, uh, said they were going to take her kids from her, right? Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think it's highly unlikely. I think yeah. that's she said it to to kind of keep her kids and stay out of trouble, and then I think it just uh, snowballed out of control at that point. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she had to come up with a story, and one thing leads to another. And and of course, when you know when you're making up a story, it's hard to keep it consistent. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. When you lie, it's right. kind of hard to keep a fact straight. <laughs> it's really hard to remember a lie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, uh, how did the proceedings go against Nifong? As the, as the AG investigates the case, they come to the conclusion that Reed and uh, David and Colin are factually innocent. They had nothing to do with raping any kind of sexual assault. Well, and then no rape had occurred. No rape had occurred. It's not just they're innocent. It never happened. Right. That's uh, very good point. Not only were they innocent, it hadn't happened at all. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. and at that point, of course, the bar proceedings are ongoing. Um, you know, and they're 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 doing the the pre-hearing stuff, and in um, in June there was finally a bar hearing uh, on all the charges that were pending against Mr. Nifon and um, retestified. And uh, I think if anyone's ever seen him. Uh, seen that testimony either on YouTube or, or saw it when it was happening. I mean, only a complete idiot would think after listening to that kid that he would be involved in a gang rape. 
Well, I agree with you. In fact, I, as I mentioned uh, when we were on the break, because I did listen to, I did watch those YouTube, and if our listeners are interested in this case, there are numbers of YouTube uh, videos, not only from uh, newscasts, talk shows, 60 Minutes, and the hearings that are very interesting. And I, and I couldn't help but notice that Mr. Nifong seemed to be calm, cool, and collected watching doing his testimony and watching the proceedings. Well, I, you know, I, he, was, it, it, he was in kind of a funny place because, you know, at the proceedings he, you know, allegedly apologized and, you know, said that, that he was sorry it all happened. And then when he was asked the question about did he think something really happened in the House, he hesitated and said, yeah, he thought something really happened. And then he agreed to surrender his license and agreed to have the board impose its, the strictest punishment. Um, and then he uh, refused to resign as DA because uh, they hadn't signed the order yet. And then when he had to send in his license, he, he sent in this strange letter saying that his dog had chewed it. And so it had been damaged. The dog was, ate my license? Exactly. It was all very, very strange. Huh. Of course. And of course, at, the, at that point, uh, uh, the judge who had been presiding over the case issued a show cause order to hold him in criminal contempt. Uh, because, uh, and you know, we had talked a little bit about how a lot of the opinions of the DNA expert from the DNA had been hidden from us. Well, when we had asked for the underlying documentation, Mr. Nifon kept saying, there aren't any other opinions. All the opinions are in the report. We didn't talk about anything else. Uh, you know, there's just nothing more there. And in fact, there was a lot more there. And so the judge issued a, a show cause order on why he shouldn't be held in criminal contempt for effectively lying to him or misrepresenting um, what the uh, what the opinions were of, of the DNA lab. Sure. Okay. Um, that's the voice of Jim, Attorney Jim Cooney, North Carolina attorney, talking about one of the most discussed cases of the decade, the Duke Lacrosse rape case. Be right back. News. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. 
Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat show with Dr. Pat Basile, radio to thrive by. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Jim Cooney is my guest, the attorney who represented the innocent Reed Seligman, the Duke Cross case. Uh, Jim, we were just talking about what happened with um, Mike Nifong, the district attorney, the prosecutor on this case, and that he was brought up on ethics charges before the state bar and actually lost his license. Now, he also went to jail, and you were talking about the criminal contempt, and I think that is that, and that's the reason he went to jail? Yes, the judge found him in criminal contempt and, and sentenced him to jail for a day. For a day. Uh, and which obviously is a symbolic sentence, but an important symbolic sentence. Um, uh, because when you have the former chief law enforcement officer going to jail over his conduct, it sends a clear message to other prosecutors who want to think about cutting corners or shading the lines that, uh, that that's not going to be tolerated. So okay. that, that was a clear and important message. Now, so did he... Resign, or did he have his bar card taken from him? No, he he um, he had it. He had his license taken from him, and then resigned as the district attorney. As, okay, and resigns as district attorney. Okay, but after he had his bar card taken, then he refused to resign because of. Yeah, well, he he was he he wasn't going to resign until the order was finalized, and that was going to take about thirty days. So he was acting like he was going to be DA for the next month, and then. Um, then he was essentially told leave, Astonishing. and and that's when he sent in his license that had been apparently eaten by eaten the dog. By the dog. <laughs> well, and I see in a one news article I read that 
they charged him with systematic abuse of prosecutorial discretion Mm -hmm. for withholding Uh, evidence and making improper pretrial statements. Right. Uh, and that the the one of the real focuses of the hearing was on his pretrial statements because they had got video clip after video clip of him kind of proclaiming that this crime had occurred and that you know people had committed the crime and really over the top stuff and and again sending trying to send a clear message that this is not the way you handle a criminal investigation and of course. It, he 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 tried to be very clever about doing it because all his interviews and all the statements were made before he had actually charged anyone. Mm-hmm. So so there there really wasn't anyone to counter him at that point. Of course, because because the investigation hadn't focused on anyone, so he had kind of the whole playing field to himself. And then he said, once people were charged, he would stop commenting. Well, <laughs> by then the damage had been done. Right. It would have been tough to find a objective jury pool there, wouldn't it? Well, I, I think it may have been. T- I mean, he had the 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 racial and sexual allegations had just uh, torn Durham apart. I think it would have been very difficult to find an uh, objective jury pool in Durham. You never go find a jury pool that hadn't heard of it. But I think, you know, in some of the surrounding counties where the community hadn't been so torn apart, you probably could have found at least an objective jury pool. Well, and speaking of a community being torn apart, um, these three young men's lives have been torn apart. Their families have been torn apart. Yeah, and and that's why the the, the word innocent was so important, because uh, yeah, they will always be followed by this. But the declaration that they were innocent uh, has really helped rehabilitate them substantially. Uh, well, yeah. and I and I was reading someplace where even all the professors and instructors at Duke, a large majority of them had taken a stand against these three men. Yeah, there was, uh, there were, I think, tens of professors, uh, 90, 70, something like that, who had actually uh, adopted an ad that condemned um, these kids and, 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 and the lacrosse team as well. And, you know, so it, it, I mean, let's face it, my client's mugshot appeared on the cover of Newsweek magazine where he was identified as a racially motivated rapist. How do you ever recover from that? Well, I, I don't think you do. And, and, and what I told Reed is that his life is going to be different. And whatever life he was going to lead before that moment was over. And it was now going to be different. And it was up to him. It, that doesn't mean it's going to be necessarily worse. Mm-hmm. It's up to him whether it's going to be a better life or a worse life, but he needed to accept the fact it was going to be a different life. This was always going to be a piece of him, and he just needed to deal with it. Right. Yeah, because people are going to remember that he is one of the guys that was charged with rape. Yeah, well, and, you know, in the age of the Internet, that's always there. Right. You Google Reed Seligman, and you'll probably pull up a million hits, and most of them will be you know, involving rape, and when he fills out an application, one of the questions is, have you ever been arrested or charged with a crime? Right. And he's got to say, yes, I've been charged with rape, and explain it all again. But, you know, he, he is, he is a, he's a bright kid, he's a strong kid, and, um, and he's going he, to use this to become stronger. I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of it. He, in fact, he's a first-year law student right now. Is he really? He wants to become a prosecutor. 
Really? Yeah, because he figures uh, they, they need some good prosecutors after what he's seen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, good for him. First year law school, that's fabulous. Where is he going to law school? Uh, he's at Emory. Okay. Excellent law school Excellent in law Atlanta, school. Georgia. Good for him. Well, I, I certainly wish him the best. And I'm sure our listeners that are listening to this story, that they can put themselves in his place and imagine what it could possibly be like. So thank you, Jim, for joining the program today. This is an important story. You've given an incredible description of what happens when dirty politics get involved in high-stake and high-profile cases. And uh, if you want to know how to contact Jim Cooney, who is listed uh, at, on his website, the website lists Bombo um, Carlisle Innovators at Law, and Jim Cooney certainly is an innovator at law. You can reach him or his firm at www.wcsr, WC like Charles, S like Sam, R.com. Or you can go to PISclassified.com under the show archives. Next week I have a surprise. Stacy Keach. You remember Stacy Keach? She played Mickey Splain's Mike Hammer. And if you listen to the show, you know the music. Theme song for this show is Mike Hammer's theme song. And he will be joining me next week when we declassify more stories from investigators. Every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. If you have a question about a show or a topic you believe might be interesting to our listeners, Send a note to me at Francie at PISDeclassified.com. See you next week. Daisy Keats is PISDeclassified and Francie Keats. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.